Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey. <laughs> Tell me to carry a hey, hey, hey. <laughs> oh, see, man, you got to take it away. We're back. We're black. I'm sick. And it's right ambition. Yes, I'm sick again. I'm praying it's not COVID. I don't think it's COVID. I've taken two COVID tests. They say it's not COVID. I think maybe. I don't even know. I don't even know like like, what said, illness there's is. other ways to be sick. And you'd get yes, just as much sympathy. I think it's just, a, I don't, it might be a flu. Around the season, sometimes I get like a little, like the flu or whatever. I mean, there's green stuff coming up. So I'm assuming, I'm like, I never had green stuff with COVID. I'm sorry, guys. So I know, after this, literally, I'm calling my mom, like, what should I do? Um, <laughs> it's like, go to yeah. sleep. <laughs> I know. That's really what I've been doing, like, tea and sleep, tea and sleep. Yeah, yeah but I, I mean, I, if you guys have been watching um, my Instagram stories, I had, I took the team, my, my business partner and I took our teams to um, New Orleans for our annual team retreat, which we have not done in two years because COVID. But it was so amazing, I, I have to say. New Orleans is such a magical place for black and brown people. <laughs> I mean, it just, yeah, you know? And it was so crazy, Mandy, because I was like, we were, we were by um, the waterfront and I was sharing everybody. I said, you see those steps right there? Those are the steps where Mandy and I planned out that edition. <laughs> I was like, I remember. Oh, that makes it sound really old. <laughs> I know. I was just like, my sister was like, really? I and want I them like, to yes. cordon off that step, that stoop. Yes. Was it there? I, was, I feel like there were yeah. train tracks. It was somewhere random. Well, we were walking, um, like, we were walking, like, I, like you know, we were walking up and down, like, that kind of, like, the waterfront. And, yeah. you know, we ended up just sitting there and just talking for some time about, like, what, you know, just enjoy. Because yeah. you'd asked me kind of before, but we just, you know, sat and just, like, talked about like you know we were talking about like at the, at the time um your husband was was your boyfriend i don't you know i think jerrell was still my boyfriend too there was no kids mm -hmm. in the picture it was just like two brown girls who were like let's do this thing just had free time and energy That's i we know <laughs> we, we were there for the fincon um yeah and it was like you know i don't think anybody really goes to like unless it's like your friend's like whatever workshop you know that you know how it is with conferences you go to your friend's workshop but then you really go to hang out and have a good time you know i think that's the and right so way we to did do it, personally yeah and it was just a really good time and i remember just like i had, obviously i had known you before and we were cool because you had done a couple articles on me um mm -hmm. but yeah and you were like we should do a podcast and i think i was like what's a podcast <laughs> <laughs> You gave me like, yeah, oh. that's interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. my number? Right? Um, yeah. The, no, but, but y'all's awesome. trip looked freaking amazing. Like, I had a little bit of FOMO. But also, shout out to you for choosing the best weather, like the best time to go oh to New my Orleans. Gosh. You know how Essence <laughs> yeah. Fest is like in the armpit of hell, July? Girl. I was like, why they got to do that to us? It, they, when I said we had a time, I mean, 
we had a time. They went out every night, and I just was like, I cannot, because I could already feel myself getting sick. Um, because I've just been doing a lot of travel. I went to Detroit to speak at an event, and then it was like literally landed. It was Alyssa Sweet 16, and then I had to fly to LA for an event a day later. I was home for one day, then flew to New Orleans. I just think, honestly, this is like my body saying, girl, you need to sit down, or we're going to sit you, you down and then sit me down. You can have much of a good thing. But it was, honestly, it was just awesome. Like, there's something about hanging out with, like, your crew of people that you really enjoy and we get to see each other. I mean, we see each other all the time on Zoom and stuff like that, but it's nothing like being in person. We, we, we do certain things every year for our retreats. We always do a spa day. So we did the Roosevelt, which is um, a Waldorf Astoria Hotel, which was awesome. We always do like a fun day where we do something like fun and kind of physical. Like one year we did ATV and I think this year we went um, swamp tour. Like the, you know, like you oh, take yeah. like the, the airboats. Yes, that was fun. We got to feed alligators or crocodiles. I don't know the difference. We also, my favorite though on, on our activity day was um, we did a second line band, which. That's what I saw at IG that I was like, yes, girl. do it up. Yeah. That was for, just for, for y'all? Yes. That's so yes. cool. Yes, we used this company, this black owned mother daughter company called Primetime. They're based out of Chicago, so if ever, ever, ever you need to like, pl- I don't know what other kind of planning they do, but if you ever need to planning like a, a corporate retreat, they were excellent. They flew into New Orleans, made sure everything was great. The house they picked for us was amazing. So we, we got like this eight bedroom, beautiful home, and then we got a nearby hotel so that way everyone could have their own room. So like myself and like the other C-suite stayed in the house and that's where we we had a private chef. Our chef was actually the great, was the granddaughter of Fats Domino, which was so awesome. He's like this oh, really wow. famous jazz musician yeah. um, out of uh, New Orleans. And so it was just an amazing, amazing trip. But yeah, the second line band, I mean, that is on my story. Um, my story's already passed, but if you go to my my page, you can see us. So, you know, you, I didn't know, like, I was always like, what's the first line band? They're like, the band is the first line. I'm like, oh. And so you are the second line. And oh, so, I never thought to even ask what that meant. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really, you know, sense. but it's this jazzy, I mean, it was amazing to have your own parade. That's what they call it, yeah. down bourbon with police escort. It was just, that was just so epic. It was, um, it was like a core memory, you know? Um, mm. But yeah, it was just, I mean, we were like, you know, we were so black because we were electric sliding in the house. We played, th- apparently there's a taboo, taboo culture. See, that's the like, part of the trip that I was most jealous of. I miss game nights. I haven't had a yes. game night in like three years. And I'm like, damn, that looks Girl. so fun. And I'm so good at taboo too. So when I tell you, I was like, I am, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I'm a taboo master. You were getting it. I could see the fire. Yo, I see where we, your energy our went team, to. The other okay. team was so sick of us. <laughs> they were so sick of us. <laughs> Because I'm a really good guesser, but I'm also really good, like, you know, because I'm really good at analogies, yo. But it was, when I tell you, it was just such a really good time. And so I'm just grateful for the time with the team. And even though I came back sicker than when I left. (laughs) I'm glad that you gave them everything, but hopefully you have some time for yourself now. I do wonder, because on the last episode, you said your budget was like 80K. Did you use every penny of it? No. So what we decided was, because at first I remember like, so shout out to Tammy. She was like, was kind of like the our internal organizer. And um, she was like saying, I guess they didn't have enough, like, you know, cause she came to me and she was like, oh, there's all these fun things we want to do. We don't have enough money. I said, how do we not have enough money? We have $80,000. And she's like, no, the CFO, um, George A shared with us that we can use 40. And I was like, why? So I hit up the CFO. I'm like, are we saving that money for anything? She's like, no, because last trip was 40. I'm like, girl, that's not how the trips work. 
the trips work in accordance to what we have saved up. Like that's the point, you know, this is money that we've collectively made with our efforts. We set aside 3% of our net profit, you know? And so I said, how much we should have, I think it was between 80 and 85. And I asked Tammy and I said, you know, um, is 60 enough? And if it's not, you can come back. And she's like, no, no, 60 will be plenty. And so we, they ended up using um, 60. So I was like, girl, we released the coins. So we still have some money left over just because, I'm not going to lie, this year was a really rough year for the Literature Academy. And so I didn't want to use the full 80 because I wanted for next year that we had some money, you know, set aside for to still be able to go on a trip. You know what I mean? It might not be as lavish, but I didn't want to like, you know, totally drain our um, our trip account. So yeah, there's about twenty to $25,000 left over for next year, plus whatever we make, you know? Um, so yeah, not the full the, how, Do you mean like rough in terms of the, like, I know at the beginning of the year it was really tough because you had the layoffs and everything. Mm -hmm. um, do you mean like just in terms of like morale from all of that? And I don't know, it seems like this will be a good no, way to- meaning like, I mean, financially rough. Oh, okay. <laughs> so- a lot of my friends also have online schools and it's, a, it's this, it's, I've just been getting that same feedback across the board because one, ads don't do what they used to do. So many of us were like ad dependent, which we're trying to switch away from that. But so many of us oh, were okay. ad dependent. And so as a result of being ad dependent, you know, like, you know, as soon as they change the rule, an ad that might, you might bring in, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month, all of a sudden brings in nothing. So you're like, so what do I do now? And so that was See, one. By they, you mean like Meta, like Facebook? Yes, mm -hmm. Instagram. The vast majority oh, of us, okay. when they're running ads, you're running ads on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and so, like, it's mm -hmm. just the rules are always changing. So just when you get acclimated or you get one thing good going, and the way ads work, it's a moving train. So let's just say they say these are the new rules, and you're like, okay. It takes a while for the train to get back moving. You know, trains don't go from zero to 60 in 60 seconds. It takes a while. And so it's just expensive. Every time you have to pivot, then you have to spend all this money to get the train moving only for them to be like, oh, we changed our mind again. So that's one that we were highly ad dependent. But by the end of this year, that will be different for next year because we've been making this shift, like to really lean into working and getting contracts instead of laying on, leaning on ads. So that's one thing that it'll be different next year. Um, and also too, like, you know, I'm not the CEO over there anymore. And there's a learning curve for the new CEO. And she just was thrown into this messy pot. And so, you know, I told her, cause she, she's like, Tam is very, very um, hardworking and competitive. And she's like, oh no, I'm gonna blow it out the water. I said, you won't. Um, instead, your job is just to keep us afloat because you're still learning. I have no expectation that you're gonna do better than me because how could you, because this would be a challenge for me, who's been the CEO, a CEO for 15 years, let alone you just started. And so she realized it's really hard, you know, because there's so much, so many things that had to be realigned, that were misaligned. And I'm like, girl, and she's only done a great job of being kind of like, our months are basically net net. We're making enough to cover all the bills, to pay all the payroll, blah, blah, blah. But there's not excess. Like, you know, typically I take an excess as a draw. And so I haven't seen a draw, like a decent one in, in a very long time, you know, but that's okay. My old thing is always, are we net net? Meaning like, do we make enough to cover everything and pay our bills and things? And we have been able to do that. So I told her that was her goal and she met that goal. Um, and also too, there's just a shift in the economy. You know, rightfully so, people are looking at their bills and determining what is essential. And I tell people all the time, don't give me your last. Like I've seen people say, take out a credit card, but, but I don't believe in all that. Don't give me your last. I have a lot of free resources and tools. As a matter of fact, I'm bringing back the literature challenges. 
I'm excited to launch the, if, if you're like an old school dream catcher, you know we did a challenge every January. And so we'll be doing a literature challenge, um, the savings edition in January, totally free. It's a three week free, amazing course that walks you literally day by day. I give you something small to do to work toward increasing your savings. Um, I'm excited for that. Yeah, so I'm excited because I just that was like the you, power of the budget Easter. Remember when yeah, you and I missed that. And so, I mean, honestly, the academy is going to be fine. I we have been through way worse. Please, this is nothing. I remember one time we was down to our last ten thousand and bills were thirty. And so, you know, but because this is just the reality of business that as things shift externally and internally, you have to pivot and shift. And this is not even the worst that we've ever been. You know, I on a scale of one to ten of oh my gosh, we're in trouble. Ten being big trouble. You know, one being we're good. I mean, we're probably at a five, you know, maybe even a four or four or five, meaning like, eh, I'm not worried about it because we have all these things in place that, you know, we're, we're just activating them now. So I'm just like, but it's, you know, you have a plan. Yeah, we have exactly for me, as long as we have a plan, but that's just the way yeah. of business. And so as a result of that is just, there's a lot of shifting, but an opposite, the budgetista has flourished like a damn butterfly. I mean, it has like doubled. <laughs> doubled is revenue and our profit margins are stupid like honestly too high to the point where I was like I feel like we're not supposed to have 80% profit margins you know and technically you really shouldn't you know because that just means that's how much you're paying in taxes so it's like do you need to hire more help are there other things you could purchase with the business you know um, yeah, budget you needs to bus. Keep, budget needs to private plane. <laughs> I know you know but that's what people do because <laughs> if not literally it's like I much rather pay someone like on the team that money than to give it away as taxes you know does logan need yeah. extra support does the, 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 you know what i mean and is it, are there raises maybe i can give or something um but yeah the budget has been slain so that's just the nature of business you know you learn to ride those waves those things honestly don't worry me anymore like i would tell all my mentees you know you work hard you're smart you're consistent you're gonna be all right you just keep at it so mm -hmm. but yeah <laughs> Ooh, cha cha yeah. <laughs> my life, pray for my throat. <laughs> oh, well, why don't before I forget, today, this is going to come out on Wednesday. Thursday morning, I mean, God willing, I do not have COVID because they come to test me tomorrow. I will be on um, Ryan and Kelly. Is it Kelly and Ryan and Kelly? Ooh. Remember Reaches and Kelly? Mm -hmm. I've never you been You need on to get before. better. I know, I know. <laughs> You're going to be in the like, Yes, in studio. <gasps> I've, I know. So it's going to be... I have to be there at 7.30, so I'm assuming the 8, 8 a.m. hour, so 8 or 8.30, which is like the no, premium golden hour. No, they come on at 9. Hour. Listen, this is the one morning show that I used to religiously watch, Kelly and yes. Regis, and then Kelly and Michael, and now Kelly and Ryan. Yes. Anyway, it's at 9 o'clock. Okay, They only have one okay. hour, so you're okay. on the hour. Yes. And it's so the lead-in from whatever that show is, GMA or whatever it is after. Yes. So, yes. So if you like, like tune in wherever you are and watch, I mean, I got God willing, because honestly, if I'm if I have COVID, which I'm like, please, Jesus, don't. Can I then, get in the like, studio audience, Tiff? Can I go I see know. you on Kelly? I know. I'm Tiffany, give me back. a plus one. I never ask you for anything. <laughs> I never they, ask you for they anything. They won't let <laughs> Honestly, it's it. my, like, <laughs> Tracy is coming. Like my, my makeup artist can't even come. Um, and then like, the, I know there's like, so that they're like really, I mean, rightfully so they're wanting to make sure that everyone is like healthy and you can only, so, and then my, um, my yeah, publicist yeah, from yeah. Penguin is coming. I think I'm only allowed two, two plus ones, but, um, but yeah, so I'm going to be on God willing. If you don't see me on, you know, it's because, cause they sent someone to test you like two days before. So I get tested tomorrow. So 
if I got mm. the vid, I'll be home weeping as someone else. But you've already been testing and it's negative, right? Yeah, but at the home test, I'm just like, I'm hoping I'm doing it right. I've done it twice already because we had to test before we, yeah. we came on the trip together. So I'm hoping that this is just like, meanwhile, I'm like, I hope I can just give them the flu. Not COVID. I hope I can just give them the flu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, my God. That's oh, but we do have a guest today. Thank God. Yes, we have a guest today. So Tiff is going to take a little breaky break so that I can interview our illustrious guest for today. I'm really excited. I'm sorry that you won't get to meet him because he is amazing. Uh, But Christopher Rivas is a storyteller, a Mm. professional storyteller. He's an actor, theater writer, and he has a new book that is coming out officially Tuesday, the 11th. So by the time you guys listen, you can purchase your copy. It's called Brown Enough. And it is an incredible, it's like part memoir. I was just reading a chunk of it, this chapter about student loans. Um, that you guys will hear me talk to Chris about because talk about being a successful Hollywood actor, but also having $244,000 of student loans. (laughs) Like he goes there. Yeah, but I'm sorry you won't get to meet Chris. I know. I am sorry. And then we had BAQA this week, but honestly, I'm probably not going to make it for BAQA, but um, you guys will have Mandy. Obviously, she knows all the things, um, but still keep, because we're going to have guests. We're not going to have them this week as planned, but we'll have them next week. And so if you have your questions, keep DMing us on Instagram with your voice note questions, um, because we cannot wait to have you guys in the hot seat asking your awesome questions. But no, but for real, I'm just like, I don't know, like... I'm doing too much. I don't want to start piling back on again. Honestly, Mandy, I'm nervous about that. Like the pile on, you know, that because the real work is the the reaping, not sowing. Meaning like as good things roll in, it's hard to figure out what to say no to, you know? Mm. And I feel like my body's like, well, girl, you've been doing too much. That's why we're like this. You know, I really feel it. Like I'm just like, this is not just a regular cold. This is also a, because you didn't sit your behind down cold. And so like, that's, I'm nervous about it. I don't want to go back to that, like, I did all the things life. So I'm really, really, really trying to be intentional about like, let me look at my calendar again. What else can come off? Does this have to be on here? You know, does this have to be, you know? Yeah, cause like literally I'm about to get back into bed, have my tea and sleep until tomorrow morning. And hopefully when these people come to take my vid test, it says negative. You will yeah, be on Regis. Yeah, I will. I will. Thank you. Well, not Regis. Kelly, not reach. I know. Look at me. I'm like, sorry, Ryan. Sorry. It's been a minute. <laughs> it has been a minute. Yo, you can tell my age. We're Regis and Kathleen. Uh, well, I think it's just like an important message too that no matter, you know the things. Like we yeah. know about taking time and resting. But I mean, everything is in a cycle, right? And I think it's just about recognizing like it is right now. It's just gotten to be too much. So like doing a reset. And thankfully, I mean, you have systems in place to to give yourself that reset. Yeah. You know? You just got to yeah. be the one to be like, um, pull the plug. Yeah. Where's the escape hatch? Yeah. Get me out of here. All right, y'all. All right, Until fun. next week, you're in good hands with Allstate, a.k.a. Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you're in good hands with Allstate. Y'all's good neighbor. <laughs> yes. Wait, is that the neighbor one? Shit. Wait, like a good neighbor? No, that's State Farm. <laughs> oh, I thought it was the um the guy with the deep voice from uh, CSI or whatever it was. No, I think I want to say that's Allstate maybe. Look at us, girl. <laughs> All right, um, until next week. I got y'all. Okay, I got y'all. Tiff, get some rest. Sending you love. Right, Can't you. wait. To, I'm going to be watching. I'm going to figure out how to get on, how to, how to get someone's cable and watch. <laughs> hey, BA fam. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. 
Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, 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 BA fam. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350. 50 million global monthly visitors. That's incredible. This is according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 150 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Okay, it's smart. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Just go to Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. Do you ever have subscriptions that you forget about? I did. Mm-hmm. Do you have a hard time canceling those subscriptions because they seem tricky or time consuming? Raise your hand. I know it's you. Okay. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Yes. I can see all my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, I cancel it with a tap. I've never had to get on the phone with customer service in order to do so. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Okay. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash brown ambition. That's rocketmoney.com slash brown ambition, rocketmoney.com slash brown ambition. Hey, hey, VA fam. It's Mandra here riding solo. As you guys heard, Tiffany, we wish her well. She is under the weather and without a voice, which, you know, as a podcaster is a little bit important, but I cannot tell you guys how excited I am to introduce you to, if you're not familiar with this incredible talent already, Christopher Rivas. He is joining us today, although he usually is in LA doing big Hollywood things. He's in the New York Stitcher studio right now. I had the pleasure of getting to know Chris. God, what was it earlier this year and met in, in the springtime when his team reached out to me to be a guest on his new podcast called Brown Enough, which we're going to talk all about. But the real reason Chris is here is to talk about his brand new book. It's called Brown Enough, true stories about love, violence, the student loan crisis, Hollywood, race, familia, and making it in America. So, you Longest know. Longest title ever. 
<laughs> We're not covering just any one subject here. He is becoming one of the most sought after multi-hyphenates. He's an actor, author, podcaster, storyteller. Um, like I said, his new book, Brown Enough, by the time y'all listen to this episode, BA fam, get on over to Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or your independent bookstore of choice and purchase his book. We are putting a link in the bio or sorry, in the show notes. You can grab that. Um, it's part memoir, part social commentary. Honestly, it's like a roller coaster while Chris talks about finding his true self while simultaneously having a racial awakening amidst the struggle to be the perfect Latinx woke and brown person as possible to make it in today's America. So we're so, so excited to have you here, Chris. Welcome. Bienvenido. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to chat with you again. Oh, I almost forgot yeah. to mention you're like really famous and stuff. You were on this Fox TV series called Call Me Cat opposite everyone's favorite actress, Blossom. Oh my God. Maya Bialik. Did I say that right? Leslie you Jordan, did. Kyla Pratt, Cheyenne Jackson. So we know you are a big Hollywood time actor, Chris, but I mean, I don't think it's possible to hear you speak about your career and not really just get the sense that you're not in it for this Hollywood fame. You're really in it to be like a storyteller and to get your authentic stories across, um, which I was fortunate enough to get to see when you had your launch party for um, your first podcast, uh, Ruby Rosa, which came out. Congratulations on that, too. You're a busy guy. Thank you. That's all done now. So you can binge it. You if you haven't heard it, you can binge it I about the Dominican man James Bond's based on. Yeah, so BA fam knows all about it. I shouted you out when it first came out. And now your podcast, Brown Enough, which is in conjunction with this book. So tell us about this book. Why, why the book and what can people expect from it? Why the book and what can people expect from it? First, the podcast, Brown Enough, which you will be on. So just letting your people yeah. know. <laughs> uh, we have an incredible conversation you know that long title, right, with all the things and student loan and this and making it an American familia? When I was chatting with the publishers, they, what sold them, and I think you'll appreciate this, you know, finance and stuff, that whole title, what really sold them was, oh, student loan crisis? You're shitting me. Really? That's like, that was their like, <laughs> the, 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 the people at Simon & Schuster were like, that's it. Yeah. You know? They were like, race, uh, I see it all the time, this, da, 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 you know, but like student loan crisis. And, and so that, that sort of is that title, how that came into being. And the reason why now is because exactly what you said, storytelling. I believe everything is a story, one we've been made to believe or chosen to believe, and knowing the difference is profound. And I think as bodies of culture... It is imperative that we take back our stories and we start unplugging from the stories about us, what whiteness and society and capitalism has attempted to teach us about ourselves and our worth, what we're worthy of. And so you are right. Uh, the Hollywood shine is not as nice to me as the ability to tell new stories and provide armor for young brown and black kids who also want to tell stories. Yeah, I mean, I in the portions of the book that I have been 
privileged enough to get to read. I wish I had a copy, but it says it's going to be here tomorrow. That's fine. I checked the Amazon tracking, like, when's the book going to get here? But in the portions that I've read, I just feel like any young brown teenager in America who picks up this book, or if you know a brown teenager, which BA fam, you know that we know some brown teens out there. I feel like they would find interest or young in their careers. It's really for everyone, but I just feel like you really see that person. I, I don't know if you were envisioning a certain reader when you were writing this, but it feels like a nice, warm, big bear hug to any brown kid out there who's not feeling like they belong. Um, that was how I felt. And I sort of put myself in my young uh, teen years when I was just, I mean, had no idea where I belonged, trapped in between, you know, two different sort of identities and socioeconomically and racially and even geographically feeling torn. And I just felt really seen by a lot of the book. That's, well, thank you. I mean, the goal of my work in general is to create spaces of belonging and to allow people to feel seen. And so I'm glad you felt that way. It's funny, when I was writing it, I don't actually think the irony, it's like the dedication reads, uh, this book is dedicated to all the little brown kids who need to see themselves grander and more vibrant, but don't. I see you, I hear you, we hear. But I think when I was writing it, I don't actually know that I was writing it for like high schoolers or teens. And yet every day since we've been leading up to this book coming out, I'm like, this needs to be high school required reading. Yeah. This is what I needed when I was young. Like mm -hmm. that is the audience I want to have it. And so we made this incredible study and discussion guide that schools are getting. And so if anyone listening is interested in that, you can just email the publisher, Row House, and they will send you this beautiful study guide we made. I mean, how different would my high school experience have been if there was even one author of color on the list, not let alone a book that really embraces that identity. So tell folks, um, backing all the way back up to a little bit of your origin story, talk to our audience about what made, when you say Brown, what do you mean by that? Where are you from? And how did you sort of, how, what was your journey like coming into your own as a Brown man in America? Yeah, so my father's Dominican. My mom is Colombian. We grew, I grew up in Queens, New York. Queens is one of the most diverse places in the world. I spent a lot of time in Jackson Heights. That is actually known as the cultural melting pot of the world. Everyone and their mother and everything is there. And so I think without knowing it, that was extremely influential on me. I saw brownness everywhere. And I struggled to think that I was, I watched the boys on TV and I knew I wasn't white and, and so-called pretty like them. You know, I, w I didn't see myself and yet I didn't fit like the, you know, Latinos on TV and uh, I wasn't Latin enough for some of the, you know, girls I was trying to kick it to. And, and I, I didn't know if I had, where my home was. My best friend was Pakistani, South Asian. Like I was always trying to be seen and be accepted and fit in, which I think is a very human component of us. Like we, we, we want to find our tribe. And so that's been a majority of my life is looking for my tribe. Fast forward many years and I'm an actor in Hollywood, which teaches you a lot about <laughs> tribe and where you belong or where they try to tell you you belong and you have white managers who tell you to cut your hair or tell you to get a nose job, right? To look more white, more passing, more Eurocentric. Uh, 
And then I go to see Tanahasi Coates speak, and he's a genius, brilliant man, and he's speaking about black and white. And I raise my hand and I say, well, as a Dominican Colombian kid from Queens, where does that leave me in the conversation? And he said, not in it. Not in an aggressive way, not in a, just, that's it, just not in it. And I went home a bit shattered. Where am I? I've always felt like I wasn't in it. What does it mean to be in it? Where's my father? Where's my mother? Where are you, Mandy? What's it mean to take up space? What does it mean to look at brownness in that whole middle space, which is far more than skin color, right? Like in a, in a world that is always this or that, he, she, yes, no, fail, pass, right, wrong. What does it look like to live and embrace that middle space? To live outside of a box, to live outside of a binary. And so I wrote this book. This book has been a real reclaiming of my voice. And, and I hope it gives other people that same power. Yeah, I find that really powerful. I mean, obviously, ta is a genius. But I've heard you tell that anecdote a couple of times. And I'm just like, ah, there may have been a better way to phrase that. <laughs> Instead of like not in it, because I do feel like there's room for all of it. But I, I completely get it. You know, at, at that moment in America, when we're so talking about, you know, the the pain, the violence against black bodies and and the Black Lives Matter movement and all of that, and it belongs here. What I love is that you took that feedback and you were like, well, let's create a conversation that includes us, because I think that we all deserve to be included. Um, it doesn't take away from the pain, right, of growing up black in America or the stories there. It's just, it's not about, it's not a zero sum game. And I think that there's this, there's this, especially in some of my conservative white families, um, ideology that there's this this idea that there's if if one group is being focused on and being heard that somehow it's taking away from like your own issues or what's important to you but um yeah i just find that so so short-sighted and that's why i'm so excited to see a book like this even published because traditional publishing i mean has not always been the kindest to black and brown authors so that is just a feat in and of itself um and while I'm I do want to tap into that thing. Sorry, that thing you said about it, it, there's a competition. It feels that way, right? Like, oh, they got their movie. Where's my movie? Crazy Rich Asians gets their movie. Where's my movie? Oh, they got this show. Where's my show? Oh, Hentified gets, you know, oh, the Mexicans get a show. Where's my, where's my show? You know, oh, Dominicans get Gordita. Cron where's my show? Where's my Puerto, you know, like, and that is something, and I always say this, right? We don't win until we all win. And I will always quote James Baldwin, as soon as you put one person in the cage, you put everybody in the cage. White people included. Everybody's, everybody's in this nasty stuff. And we're all suffering the same myths and lies that come with whiteness and capitalism and all of that and systemic racism, everyone's in it. And I really hope this book and my work challenges that like we can all win. We can all celebrate each other. Just because they got up doesn't mean it takes away from you. Thanks for saying that. So can we talk about um, some, <laughs> well, one thing, I love the title of the book, Brown Enough. Obviously we're a show called Brown Ambition. And the reason we chose that title was really to highlight the ability of our people, black and brown people, to 
excel, to be ambitious, to be successful, in spite of all the challenges. And we're going to kind of shift the conversations. I want to talk about the super sexy part of your book where you talk about student loans. But the reality is that in this America, which you have a whole chapter in your book, I encourage you all to read called American. Um, but in this America, in order to succeed, right, and to excel, it comes at such a high cost if we choose the traditional routes, because I mean, the traditional avenues for success, meaning higher education, are like, indescribably, like shackling a whole couple of generations now of black and brown people with enormous student loan debt. And so it's like excel and succeed on on whose terms, right? So can you talk a little bit about your student loan story and why that became such a central part of your of your memoir of your book? I think bodies of cultures access or lack of access to financial education from very early on, debt, loans, credit, compounded interest. You know, like my parents didn't know this stuff to teach me because they were figuring it out. Because they were they were caught up in this American dream, right? Which which says, go out and get this by any cost. Get the credit card, do this, get the house, get the mortgage, and right. What you show other people is what you are this sort of struggle to be middle class. And that American dream also sells you get the best education possible, but that doesn't do much <laughs> to actually help you get that education. And then when you leave with all this debt, it is as if you were the idiot. You made the mistake. But you told me, you told me, you said, oh, go to the, literally, I mean, I went to the best, one of the best acting programs in the world. Go. Don't worry. Go. That's, that's what, you know, one of the first people in, in your family to go to college. Go do it. And so I go and I have all this debt, you know, six figures of, of debt. Can we share the number? It's in your book. You can. It's in my book. It's the first line of my book. It says, I, said, Holy. I have 200, I have $244,000 in student loan debt. And no one knows this, except everyone knows this now. Not even my parents know. They too now know. Oh my God. And, and somehow, and all of that is compounded interest, right? Like I owe more interest than the initial loans. And somehow, you know, I think student loans specifically really is a way of trying to cripple people from making it. In the book, I talk about also rans. In a horse race, one horse wins, but you need the also rans. You need the competition. You need the idea that they might win. That's what keeps people betting. And I think this society systemically wants also rans. We want more also rans than winners. So we sell them a, a dream, we sell them capitalism, we sell them all this stuff they should go after. And only until we start to do the unplugging do we see why we're chasing the carrot dangling from our head that we didn't even put there. And so student loans is a very big deal to me because I feel so blessed and lucky that every day, somehow, I got to make it work till the point where I could finally start paying them back. I got to scheme in Machiavelli my way to the point where it didn't cripple me and break me. And it almost did. 
I lived in my car for a year, you know, like I did all this stuff. I did anything I could to still be able to be an artist, sort of praying that one day I would get to this point. And there is a bit of luck, right? My favorite tweet is the <laughs> GoFundMe, you know, cool website to support friends. And then 2020, it's like that was when it launched. And then 2020, the backbone of the American healthcare system. And it's not just you either. It's not just our kids who are taking on these six-figure student loan debts. I mean, you 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 open up about your family is co-sign those loans, Co-signers. Right? Not just your mom and dad, but your Tio, dating. your uncle. <laughs> you got your uncle? My uncle. Poor Tio. <laughs> but I mean, in you all know. seriousness, it's like, it's not just about the kids. It's often like even the adults, you know, our parents who, because these loans are so enormous, you have to have a co-signer. And so this whole like, idea that, oh, it's just ignorant 18-year-olds who are doing this and they should have known better. And if only someone would have told them, we all need more education, you know, like at the, like adults, all of that. But how has that, now that obviously you're able to start paying that, those loans back, was there damage to your relationships because of the co-signing or like, what's your, what's the conversations around that now with your, with your family who was nice enough to co-sign those loans for you? Yeah, I want to go back to like my, my mom was born in Colombia, right? She didn't get to go to college. Like I really want to put that on our, understand our generation and, and, and where our families come from. My dad didn't go to college. And so when their son gets into all these colleges and he sits on the couch crying because he knows his parents can't afford it, but they love their son. And they love like, oh, we worked this hard to allow our son to even have this opportunity. We worked two jobs. We, those two jobs got us a house, this, this, this. To give him this opportunity, we have to do whatever it is. And then as a family, we sit down and read 60 pages of, of, of gibberish with no education as if we're supposed to understand what we're signing into. But what we're signing into is that dream. You know, my parents trying to give me everything they never had. And that's so many families, right? It's not the ignorant 18-year-old. It's it's the families. It's society. It's so much is, is in this one idea of a student loan, of an education that costs absorbent amounts of money. How has that affected our relationships? It, it thank God it hasn't. You know, I, I feel lucky. I don't think this is everyone's situation, except maybe my uncle. My uncle hated the phone calls and was always calling me and always, 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 always calling me. Uh, and he was worried and he was scared, you know. Uh, they call a lot. I got the calls. My dad got the calls. That's why I went to get a PhD, right? Like everything I did was like, I'm going to just keep like, let me enroll back in school, right? Figure out a way to do this. Figure out a way to do it. Figure out a way to pause, to pause, pause the loans, pause them. But at the end of the day, I, I really did have, whether they admit it or not, I don't know. That's how I take it. I had people in my life who believed in me, you know, and I'm glad they did. And I'm really, again, it's just, there's an overall gratitude because I know so many people who didn't get to be artists, who didn't get to be what they wanted to be because they had to work three, four jobs to start paying back their loans, which are sometimes more money than their rent. Yeah. Or even artists who are afraid or hear this, you know, hear a story like yours and then don't see another way, like don't see like are too afraid um, because they're worried about saddling themselves with debt. I think about myself 
as a writer growing up and thinking, well, I'm going to study journalism because, you know, I had these dreams of being a writer and like writing novels and maybe writing plays. But for me, I was like, well, I need to make money because ain't nobody coming to save me or, you know, help me with this life. So it's almost that pressure, like, do we do something sensible, you know, um, or do we follow our dreams? And, you know, it's, and I also feel like it's that in between, like there's not, it's not black or white in that way. It doesn't have to be all or nothing, but like hopefully stories like yours, I hope won't make people afraid to pursue their ambitions if it's like to be an artist and whatnot, but maybe just to like look for other, you know, other avenues, other programs, other, other ways to do it without having to immediately just like sign up for all those loans. Would you agree or how do you feel about it? Yeah. I mean, that's how I end the chapter, right? Like if a young person asked me if I should go to college today, I would, you know, I quote the poet. Maggie Smith in her poem, Good Bones. Any realtor taking you through a a real shithole will chirp on about the good bones. This place has good bones, she says. This place could be something one day. And I, I referenced that poem because I think it's important to know when you're walking into a shithole. (laughs) and to know about the good bones. And I just want all children, and this is why I think education of finance and opportunity and options is so important very young to say, you know, there's community college and they're actually quite good. Mm -hmm. You you know, like I'm not anti-education. I'm anti the cost of education. And I want to be really clear about that. Going to college was one of the greatest times of my life. I mean, I think it really made me who I am today, especially that school. I value the education and the community. like, And I want everyone to have that opportunity, but I also want them to challenge and be aware that asking a young person to take out loans that size is criminal. And I really want them to be aware of that. And I didn't understand it. I did not have that education. I did not have that language. And so I'm not anti-education. I'm anti the exorbitant cost of education. This is why we need this book to like be required reading for high school students. This is like the prime opportunity. Get them before they make the same, you know, decisions. Um, I love that. Okay. So sort of just to tie the conversation up, um, talk a little bit about, I mean, I think I know people are probably curious and we've had questions from, from listeners who are in the arts. So what's your advice to young or maybe not even young, cause I don't want to be ageist, but anyone out there who's, who's dreaming of pursuing a career and let's talk about theater maybe, or film, whatever you consider to be your primary focus, right? Cause you do a little bit of everything. What advice do you have to people who are wanting to get a career, um, in the arts and make it successful. Yeah. So I think being an artist is one of the most important positions in society and in the world. This is why when a dictator comes in, the first thing they get rid of are the lawyers and the, (laughs) and the like artist. Artists have an ability to speak on what is, to call out the good bones and the shit all at once. And so anyone who's young or, or old or, or middle or something who's thinking about being an artist, one, I'd say you already are, you know, and, and you're an artist regardless of the sort of success or so-called blah, 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 you achieve. You are an artist and you need to be an artist 
Now, whether the conversation is, do I have to go to school in order to be this painter and sort of study fine arts or to study theater or to study writing, I would just invite you to consider what are the other programs out there? Is it better? Is this a field where you can just go in and start doing the work? I will say this, like I, you know, I worked a lot in New York when I was a kid and then I stopped acting and I moved to Miami and I was like a personal trainer on South Beach and I knew I wanted to act, act again. It like really, it really f- hit me, but I knew I wanted to go to school. I knew I really, really, really wanted to study it because I like, I loved it and, and I, I lacked I lacked an intimate knowledge of its history and where it came from. I thought about like, let me just move to LA. Let me, I gotta, let me save this money and let me move to LA and just try and figure it out. But I wanted to study it. And I'm just, so be the artist. We need you. We need you. Be the artist you are. We need you. And if you want to go to school, really just test the waters, test your options, consider it. And if you think you're like, this is it. I want to do this. I want to do this for forty dollars to $60,000 a year. Great. Take that journey. You know, but you're going in consciously, and that's what's really important. Yeah. And even getting a mentor, like someone who's been there a little bit, like find you a Chris Rivas out there. I mean, like that could be crucial. Like having someone who can sort of share their experience before, yeah, you make that huge investment. Okay, Chris, do you think you're brown enough? Is that the open end? Is there a question at the end of this for the book? Is there a uh, I am enough. So at, at some point, I think we move beyond brown, right? Like brown is this invitation to think about the middle space in all of your life, what it means to use your voice, what it means to take up space, what it means to cast a spell of self-worth, to, and really, which then evolves to I am enough, just as I am. I am enough just as I am with what's in my bank account, with what I'm wearing, with my skin color, with my hair, with my questions about whether I want to be an artist or not. Like right here, right now, I am enough. And I can begin from this place of fullness rather than a place of lack and less. And I need to go after this in order to be enough. And so I hope the book ends for others. The way I actually think it, you know, in days, and granted, it's a spectrum, right? Like, there are days where I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I am enough. I am brown enough. I'm enough. I'm Rivas enough. I'm Chris enough. You know, I'm like, I'm enough. And then there are days where you, we're still in the matrix. So the matrix hits you hard and you don't feel so much enough. But, but it's ideally about transcending past, you know, brownness fitting in, Latino-ness, Latinidad, X, E, like blackness and just saying, I'm enough. Because this whole world is trying to tell you you're not. But you are. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for creating a work of art um, and a real gift, I feel like, to anyone out there who's been struggling, whether you're struggling with your identity now or you have in the past, I think it's just a welcome reminder that you can be enough. Um and that you're not the only one going through it. So again, BA fam, y'all have to pick up Chris's book. Um, it's called Brown Enough, sold wherever you can find books. What else can we plug? Check out your new well, podcast, I'll tell, Brown Enough. I'll, t- I'll tap into what you said about publishing. Yeah. Since 1950, and y'all can look this up in the New York Times, did a beautiful article on it. Only 5% of books published since 1950 have been by non-white authors. 
And so if you're one of those people listening, which I imagine you are, who's like, I like diversity, equity, inclusion. I want everyone to have a chance. 5%. That means we have to be conscious about what we're reading, absorbing, picking up, listening to. Whose art are we listening to? Whose podcast? Who's this? And one of the ways we do that is we support, especially in publishing. You got to buy the book, you know? And if it's not mine, awesome. But go buy somebody's. Go get you a Bell Hooks. Go get you a Julissa Arce. Go get you some, you know, like. Tiffany Aliche. Yeah, there you go. Go get you one. Please do. That is by a body of culture. Please. Because if Chris's and, you book know, throw does brown well, in there. <laughs> hell yeah. If your book does well, it makes it easier for the next Chris, for the next me, because I'm working on a book too. It makes it easier if for If it does well, it raises it 1%, you. you know, and then 1% and then 1%. There is room for all of us, right? It feels yeah. that way to me. There's room for all of us. Christopher Rivas, thank you so much for joining Brown Ambition and sharing some of your light with us. I so appreciate it, friend. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. I love your hair right now. Oh, thank you. Oh, damn. I didn't even get to talk about the anecdote with the clothespin on the nose. Oh, yeah. We do like a quick outtake. Is that for real? Yeah. Aunties were telling people to put clothespins on their nose. Oh, yeah. All the time. To make it straighter. When we do the play, when we do the play, and I do that because we hide it in the audience and everyone gets one. I get so many. I mean, it. For some people, it's it's funny. For some people, it's heartbreaking, right? I guess so many people who say, man, my, my grandma told me to do the same thing. My mom told me to do that. My dad told me to do that. Wow. All the time. I mean, I thought the whole chemical in your hair to make it straight, that was the that was very painful, okay? I still have the scars. But the clothespin, like, oh my God. It would have taken much more than a clothespin for this schnoz to go anywhere. I can't imagine. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, for that anecdote and others, y'all got to check out the book. Um, But thank you, Chris, again for joining. Thank you. I appreciate all of you. Hey, BA fam, we could not do this show without your support or the support of our team behind the scenes. The Brown Ambition Podcast is produced by Cumulus Podcast Network. It's edited by the wonderful Imani Crosby and produced by Tanya Bustos. Dennis Stemplinski is our in-house tech guru. And I am Mandy Woodruff-Santos, your co-host. And I will see y'all next week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.